Hello, listeners. I'm Paige Smith with Below the Radar, a knowledge mobilization podcast. Below the Radar is created by SFU's Van City Office of Community Engagement and is recorded on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. On this episode of Below the Radar, our host Am Johal is joined by Barbara Adler, interdisciplinary artist, programmer, and SFU's School for Contemporary Arts' Professional Development Coordinator. Am and Barbara sit down to talk about her art making and programming here in Vancouver, Canada. Welcome to Below the Radar. Really happy to have Barbara Adler here and our special guest, Maybe the Dog. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. And on behalf of Maybe as well. <laughs> Barbara, you've been involved with Sawdust Collector here in Vancouver for a number of years. Wondering if you can describe what it is as a project. Yeah, Sawdust Collector is a programming collective that myself and two other artists work on mainly. That's Cole Schmidt, who's a composer and a musician, and James Meager, who's also a composer and a musician. And what the three of us and our friends do mainly is we run a weekly series out of the Gold Saucer Studio where we program what we call interdisciplinary performance. That's, you know, interdisciplinary is always a big question, but we program different kinds of performance there on a regular basis. And then we also do field trips to other venues around town. So a weekly series and then special events. Yeah, I've been able to attend a couple of times at the Dominion Building. And I think one of the the challenges in in Vancouver in general sense for artists is that there isn't public space or spaces for people to be able to experiment and try new things. And I'm wondering in trying to start off a, a project like that, that's intended to be interdisciplinary, and in conversation with words. <laughs> um, This dog is in conversation with wanting to be closer to your lap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, wondering how it came to be that you decided to do this project. Was it partially the result of venues not being available for artists, particularly emerging artists in the city? Oh, I'm sure that was part of it. Actually, we had the opportunity to join the Gold Saucer because we were connected to Remy Sue, who runs the main collective, and Paul Perzai, who's part of that collective, through our SFU connections. And initially, when we got into it, we thought we'd be programming our own work. We thought, oh, we need a space to put on our own shows, and it would be great to have a little experimental space. And then we realized how narcissistic that would be, and also kind of, I don't know, selfish and not moving things forward to only be programming ourselves and only be using the resource to support our own thing. And it's evolved to actually be a thing that is almost entirely about supporting other people's work and supporting what we hope to happen in our community of artists more than supporting our own artistic practice. But that flip of thinking, oh, we need to help ourselves to we actually want to be part of helping a bigger scene was it was a transformation. It wasn't something that we started out with. Yeah. For uh, some of our audience members who may not have been to a show at Sawdust Collector or an evening, I wonder if you can describe kind of the types of artists you have coming in. What does an evening look like when you put on programming? It's a big mix. What we're trying to do is make connections between different communities of artists and different communities of audiences. So we really try to have some variety in our bookings. If a night happens to be all music, we'll try to make sure that it's a span of genres. So you might have a songwriter, you might have someone doing improvised music, someone doing sound art. Other nights are a mix of disciplines. So you might see some dance performance, you might see a small theater work. And What we try to do is make the space really welcoming and easy to be in as an audience. So 
you know, it's an informal venue. It's the kind of place where you can show up and and get up and leave to go to the bathroom if you need to. You know, it, it's not like a, a strict concert kind of experience. There's also some of that showmaking that makes it feel like a special event. So we have a host, we do an introduction, we have we take little breaks, we sometimes have lights. You know, it, like, like there's there's a mix of the things that you would expect at a living room kind of event and what you might expect at a conference, uh, sorry, a conference event, uh, a concert event. So the sets are typically short, 25 to 30 minutes. Uh, It's on a Tuesday night, so we're usually out of there by 11.30. And ideally, it's this kind of opportunity to see something that you knew you wanted to see and then see a couple of other things that surprise you. The night that I went, this is obviously several years ago, I can't remember, there was like some piano performance going on with the back part open. A lot of people doing interesting experimental work. I hadn't seen Brady Cranfield perform (laughs) for quite a while. Other people know from SFU. And I imagine that you also, besides getting recent graduates to be doing it, you have some people in the MFA program that have also been a part of it as well. Yeah, so I did both my degrees at SFU and I work there now. So there's definitely a close connection to SFU where we get some emerging artists who either recently graduated from the BFA program or the MFA program. We seem to book a fair bit of faculty and staff as well. But it's really not just an emerging artist series. We book people who might play with us one night and then play with the the, the symphony orchestra the other night. Like we, we have some um, local internationally touring people and we have people who come on tour from other places. And it's really that mix where ideally somebody who uh, might not have as much of a draw gets to benefit from performing with somebody who has a bit of a fan base and also maybe meet an artist who they might be interested in knowing further. I don't like the word networking for the kind of like sleazy cocktail party <laughs> connotations, but it, that is what we're trying to do in a way. And when you go off-site from the main venue you're at, uh, what are other places that you've gone? We've done things at the Wise Hall, Redgate, Pyatt Hall was one of the shows that we did that was a bit challenging. But anyway, we've done things at Pyatt Hall, China Cloud. I think we've done something under our name at 8 East. Western Front is coming up. So a lot of them are also artist-run spaces or spaces that are a little bit more cabaret feel. But yeah, we've, we've dipped our fingers into the civic theaters as well. In terms of your own artistic practice, you did your master's at the School of Contemporary Arts. Uh, what did you uh, work on in your own work? So my graduating project was a musical about Czech cowboys and Canadian rodeo queens, and it was based on research I did about a Czech cultural practice called tramping, where since about World War One, Czech people have liked to dress up in costumes inspired by archetypes of North American kind of Wild West mythologies and go camping. And it's a very politically complicated thing to transplant here, but for people in the Czech Republic, it was kind of a, a, a way to carve out sites of temporary freedom under an oppressive communist regime. It meant things at different times in the history, obviously. So we kind of adapted the idea of carving out temporary spaces of solidarity and friendship and made a, an experimental musical about it. Wow. So can you tell us more about it? It sounds <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, it was, it was a, I think it was kind of a classic graduate project where we took on a lot and it was probably about 100 things and maybe it should have been about one thing. So what happened in my research was I was I was walking around forests in the Czech Republic dressed a little bit like a cowboy. I had cowboy boots, I had a hat, 
I had kind of um, a, a paisley shirt that my collaborator, Kyla Gardner, had picked out for me. And because I was going to these tramping events where people were also kind of doing that and, and singing. There's this, so the tramping music is a pretty significant cultural practice. And one of the things that they do is they translate American songs into Czech. So there, you'll be hearing all these really familiar melodies and with new Czech lyrics. So I was at one of these events and uh, the only other young person at the event was dressed a lot like me. And it turned out that he was a documentary filmmaker also dressed in costume for research to get material for his film. So I ended up being in his documentary about Czech tramping culture playing something like myself and making a film with him there called America. Um, I I grimaced because it's hilarious that I was sort of playing someone fascinated by America because I'm totally not. And then that weird experience of being made into a documentary ended up being material for my musical I don't even know where to go with that. I know. It's amazing. I, me neither. The, amazing. My thesis defense was like <laughs> gong show because of all of that. <laughs> You've also collaborated with, with Kyla on a project related to mermaids. We're working on that now, yeah. Uh, it's called Mermaid Spring, and it's inspired by <laughs> another strange cultural practice in a place that I'm not from. Uh, I Sorry, I have Czech background. I should mention that. But I, what I don't have is... Floridian mermaid background, and that's what Mermaid Spring is inspired by. So there's a real tourist attraction in in Wikiwachi Springs, Florida, where since the 1940s, women have been dressing up as mermaids and doing underwater shows in this kind of submerged theater that has been built in a natural clear water spring. So what we're interested in exploring is how this natural spectacle that seems to be all about mermaids is actually actually could draw our attention to the environment to the spring that they're performing in so the show is called mermaid spring but what we're really trying to think through is our relationships to the places that we perform in or that we live in and how maybe our need to have them as backdrops to our lives can be damaging and where will it be performed when it when it opens oh uh right now we're looking at probably at sfu and we're in that grant writing process. So we've done little workshops. We have some music written. Uh, the music's being composed by Peggy Lee, Leah Abramson, and Alicia Hansen. So it's beautiful. And we've had little workshop showings of that and are just kind of in the process of waiting for the next round of grant results to see what happens next. Cool. And, you know, you having graduated from the school, working with artists, uh, doing different work with these types of projects, you also, in your work at SFU, are helping to place undergraduate students with organizations and all of that. I'm wondering what kind of questions come up for, you know, for someone who's thinking about being an artist today. There's always, you know, the stuff in the media, artists don't make very much money to all of these types of things. But clearly there are uh, drives and passions that drive people into art school to make work in different disciplines. And obviously there's differences and nuances with dance, visual arts, composition, these types of things. But uh, you having, you know, be, being really immersed in this work, having studied, but also now with undergraduate students and graduate students that you interact with, how you think that through? Yeah, it's so interesting that the questions are a mix of really pragmatic things, like how do you even do taxes as an artist? People have a lot of questions about that, and I direct them to workshops taught by professionals in that. But then there are also just the really general questions of how do I be a curator? How do I get my work presented? How do I put my own work into the world? And I also think there's maybe a general kind of 
angst about how do I even keep going after I leave school. I led a workshop today that was all about imagining life after graduation. And yeah, we, we sat together and kind of talked through some of it. it it's no career, I, I would say, is is um, a simple line of steps that you, you, you access and you like unlock the next level and go to the next one. Like careers don't work like that, but careers in the arts seem especially zigzaggy and prone to to chance and transformation. So it's almost like learning some practices or concepts for how to move through the world are more useful than imagining a path. So Barb, you were involved in the spoken word scene for quite a while. Can you tell us about that part of your life? Yeah, this this is where you dig up my past. And, yeah, of course. And, I, I'm investigative yeah. journalism. Nardwar kind yeah. of yeah. thing. Uh yeah, so when I was 18, I started performing at Poetry Slams, and that was kind of the first time that I, I had really performed. I was in a, you know, a, a grade nine play typecast as an anxious mathematician, so that, that you know that that didn't count. So starting in Poetry Slams was the first time I was kind of performing in the real world, and I did that for a long time. I, I was on slam teams and represented Canada at stuff. And then that kind of transitioned into a band that mixed spoken word and music and toured Canada and Europe and did things uh, that spoken word music bands do. They're, they're actually kind of the circuit. And then stopped doing spoken word in, in that context. And it, it's something that uh, I still feel is like a very big part of where I'm from, but um, not a, a, a practice I participate in. What motivated you leaving that work? I think curiosity for something else, because I, when I was in the, the spoken word music band, my initial role in it was to say spoken word really enthusiastically, often at the same time as another spoken word artist. So like our, our party trick was that we'd speak at the same time in perfect unison and then we get really excited and our voices would go like this at the same time. And everyone's like, yes, that's amazing. And we did that for like years and, you know, I was like, is this amazing? Is there a good reason to be speaking excitedly at the same time? I don't really feel it anymore. And as that was happening, I was learning how to play instruments. So I took piano lessons as a kid, which meant that in the band, my default instrument was the melodica, which is for like for people who don't know the melodica's proud history in reggae music, uh, it's for it's also like the music that the the hipster in the band who can't really play an instrument plays. It's it's like a piano on a stick that you blow through. It comes in bright colors. You can play it with like a very intense facial expression. So I did that for a bunch of years, and then I transitioned from that to the accordion, and playing an accord an accordion and like playing an instrument publicly got me more excited about writing songs and making music so it, it wasn't like a like a you know I, I slammed the door on spoken word but I did get uncomfortable with the competitive world of poetry slams pretty quickly in terms of the work that you're doing now besides the project with Kyla around mermaids uh, what else are you thinking about working on I have an ongoing collaboration with a choreographer named Leslie Telford, and she makes amazing choreography and comes up with concepts that she wants words for. So I provide the words, and then she makes choreography based on that, and then we kind of work together shaping the the, the structures of the piece. So what that looks like probably sounds like me doing spoken word, um, but to me, there's something in there that's a little bit deeper about getting to know how a dance artist thinks and writing specifically for that. 
I'm working with another dance artist, Stephanie Sear, who I, I met through Leslie Telford on a little project. She wants to she wants to speak and dance, so I'm writing a monologue for her. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us, Barbara. Oh, thanks so much for letting me talk about myself. How fun. Thank you again to Barbara Adler for joining us on Below the Radar. In the next episode, we are joined by Simon Fraser University's president, Andrew Petter. We are an institution that's doing things differently, and I'll confess it. I'm in love. I have a love affair with this university. I have colleagues at other universities who can move from university to university, from presidency to presidency. I just can't imagine it. Simon Fraser University and I are kind of hitched. Stay in the loop with Below the Radar by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, and please leave us a review. As always, thank you to the team that puts this podcast together, including myself, Paige Smith, and my co-workers Rachel Wong, Fiorella Pinios, and Kathy Fang. David Steele is the composer of our theme music, and thank you for listening. Tune in next time for a brand new episode of Below the Radar.